Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You want the upper hand in your fantasy football leagues? Then you've come to the right place. To the right place. You're listening to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. Now, here's your host, Faraz Sadiqi and Zach Rizzuto. Welcome back to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. We got Zach in the building. We got Faraz. That's me. This is going to be a great episode. This is an episode that you know we try to do every year, but uh, we revamped it a little bit this year to really, really go in depth into how we should be viewing our drafts. What is our strategy going into our drafts? What are some tips, tricks uh, that we like to you know keep top of mind when we are? Uh, not only in the middle of our draft, but also leading into our drafts, okay? Uh, so we obviously are in a bunch of leagues. We have a lot of drafts coming up. Uh, we're in the middle of July right now, which means that we're at the start of draft season. So those drafts are coming up, and I think this is going to help a lot of people. Uh, and, and a lot of these things that we're going to talk about, you might have heard already. Some of them you haven't. But even the ones you heard, it's worth kind of hearing again because, you know, Every year, uh, you know, we take different strategies and some of these might hit differently uh, based on, you know, where guys are going in this draft, which guys are available, which late round upside guys are available, um, you know, which running backs are being drafted in the first round. This is a, a year where a lot of wide receivers are being considered at the 101. So there are a lot of things to consider, but um, this is going to be a good one. This is going to be a good one. Zach, what's up, man? Uh, are you ready for draft season? I'm so ready for draft season. I mean, putting the, putting together this whole thing, you know, all these notes for the podcast, I'm just putting it together. I'm thinking, man, I wish I was drafting right now. You know what I mean? Like, right. like I, I want to put these into action immediately. But just like I got a bunch of drafts coming up, like, you know, early, late, early, mid, late August, just all across August. I got a bunch of drafts coming up. And I'm just sitting here. I'm like waiting for it to turn to August. You know, July is like one of the longest months, you know, of the off season, June, <laughs> at least there's stuff going on in June, a little bit, you know, OTAs and that stuff is wrapping up, but July, these are the dog days. So just putting together this list. You know, Listen, definitely important I, I, I have to say though, training camp is upon us. The Jets yeah. training camp is starting tomorrow on Wednesday, uh, July 19th veterans and rookies. They're the only team uh, that is starting training camp early for both vets and rookies. Uh, we have a bunch of teams having rookie training camp starting today. Okay, so don't be surprised when you see some videos, you know, on Twitter, on Instagram, on the socials. You're going to see a lot of that coming up, especially with these rookies over the next couple of days. And then next week, a lot of the veterans are uh, returning. They'll be in camp. Training camp is where it's at. We had some OTAs. We had mini camp at training camp. That's really where it's at. That's where jobs are lost. Jobs are won. Hype is created. The real hype trains are going to be starting soon. So, football's here. Yeah. I am excited. Did you, and did you get your press pass for the uh, Jets training camp? I'm trying, man. I'm trying to go to as many. 
uh, training camps as possible in the Northeast area. So I'm working on it. it not just right. the Jets. Um, boots on I haven't the ground. heard back from them just yet. But I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to have boots on the ground as much as possible. We'll see. We'll see. That's who knows? Who, who knows what's going to happen? Now, a big piece of news: DeAndre Hopkins is signing with the Titans on a two-year, twenty-six million dollar deal. He decided to take the bag rather than chase championships. Um, I saw a tweet that said, um, you know, I, I, I wish I remember who said it, but the tweet said that he took the guaranteed money rather than the championship that is not guaranteed, right? And, yeah. and, and I get that, right? Even if he does join the Chiefs or the Bills, you know, what's the probability that they win it, right? It's not like more than 50%, right? It's yeah. You never know what's going to happen, right? Um, but it does suck from a fantasy point of view because the Titans are an extremely run-heavy team. You know, I'm not sure having Hopkins will change that a whole lot. Uh, in the four years that Mike Vrabel has been head coach, the Titans have been 31st, 31st, 30th, 25th, and 30th in pass attempts. Um, and it's interesting because they have an OC, Tim Kelly. He's someone who has worked under Bill O'Brien in multiple locations, right? And, uh, you know, Penn State, uh, the Texans as well, under Bill O'Brien as their OC, and, you know, for me, like, I would have been happy if Hopkins went over to the Patriots with Bill O'Brien as the OC there because he's been peppered with targets, you know, which with whatever quarterback Bill O'Brien had. Um, and yeah. there were a lot of crappy ones. Um, but I think that's a moot point either way because this is going to be a run-heavy offense in Tennessee. And I, and I don't think we get anywhere close to, like, the 150 or 160 targets a year we've been used to with DeAndre Hopkins. And I think – we're probably looking at around 130 targets max, right? In, in 2020 mm -hmm. and 2021, AJ Brown missed a few games, but he was on pace between 120 and 130 targets, right? And that's a young AJ Brown, right? Not a 31-year-old DeAndre Hopkins. So I, I moved Hopkins down a bit to a borderline wide receiver too. Uh, you can check my full rankings at patreon.com slash fantasy. By the way, if you want to take a look at that, Dynasty rankings as well, Superflex, redraft all of it uh the link is in the description of this episode but what are your thoughts man what are your thoughts about this hopkins signing are you disappointed that he didn't land anywhere else um are you a little bit more optimistic than i am no i'm extremely disappointed i talked about this i think on the last episode where i said tennessee would be the absolute worst place for him to go because it's going to cause the most shock waves in the fantasy landscape and that's exactly what he did you know like you said he signed for the money completely understand at this point in his career I think if anybody's going to buck the trend of Titans wide receivers going to die, you know, that's where they go to die. The Titans being where wide receivers go to die. I think DeAndre Hopkins can do that, but I'm still not super optimistic, not any more optimistic than you are. I think borderline wide receiver two feels like a good spot for Hopkins. And I don't think that his ceiling is really any higher, especially with a regressing Ryan Tannehill, a quarterback, an offensive scheme that's still going to run the ball. It's going to be run heavy. So this is the same system that shriveled up Julio Jones, you know, just two years ago in 2021. And Julio, he averaged just four targets a game that year. That was working alongside A.J. Brown. Now, obviously, Traylon Burks isn't A.J. Brown. Hopkins enters Tennessee with a little bit more juice than Jones had, and that's being nice. He has a lot more juice. He's still a good receiver. And yeah. Hopkins is going to be the wide receiver one, where Jones was right. wide receiver two. So it's not apples to apples here, but it's worth mentioning. Not even A.J. Brown in that season 2021 where Julio had four catches, four targets a game. Not even AJ Brown was immune to subpar QB play. He logged the eighth worst catch percentage in the NFL among 33 wide receivers with a hundred or more targets in 2021. 
Hopkins is still a really good receiver, but I think that it's still fair to project a similar inconsistency for Hopkins this season in 2023, given the factors working against him. You know, he might have a few wide receiver one weeks in him, but I think he's going to be perpetually weekly wide receiver two on the low end with peaks that really aren't that high and valleys that are painfully low. And that's going to come on the heels of Ryan Tannehill. I don't think it's going to be his fault all the time, DeAndre Hopkins' fault, that he has these low finishes. But it's the reality of the situation. And that's what we have to work with when we look at what to realistically expect from him this season. Yeah, yeah. And I think Traylon Burks gets hit, you know, pretty pretty badly. You know, Traylon Burks yeah. going into this season, you know, was a volume-based wide receiver three with some upside because if he did see end up seeing 120 130 targets you know that's a very fantasy relevant player right there and if yep. he did a lot with those targets if he was efficient with them then we could have potentially seen him at maybe a low-end wide receiver too but now that hopkins is there you know I, if i was the quarterback i would be targeting hopkins on like 28 <laughs> percent you know uh, a very high target share right that's that's pushing, what i'm assuming just pushing that number there. out there 28 percent ryan Tannehill, maybe exactly 28 28.2 percent <laughs> um that's what i have deandre hopkins slated for this year and 28 percent on a low volume passing offense might still be okay but it's not the high end volume that he's been used to over his career um right. i'm not super down on chico conquo and the reason why is because Traylon Burks was that volume-based guy, right? Like, whenever you mention Traylon Burks going into the season, the volume's going to be there. The volume's going to be there. No one is saying, this dude is super talented. We got to get him the ball. Like, maybe we were saying that as he was coming into the NFL, but he's still a little unproven, right? And there were yeah. a lot of question marks with him coming into the draft even, right? So now going into this season, Chico Conquo, number one in yards per route run last year, number one in yards – uh, number one in number one in targets per route run among the tight end position. Um, you know, this is a situation where we could see a serious talent emerge here, right? And if that's the case, then I'm not super low on Chico Conquo's ADP. And there's a there's a chance that his ADP falls a little bit because of this signing. And if it does, I personally will be buying the dip. Yeah, absolutely. I feel that 100% with Chico Conquo. The thing that does it for me, you know, I'm not too low on him either is because he's a tight end and this is a run heavy offense. So if they run a set where there's one wide, one wide receiver on the field, I mean, that wide receiver is going to be DeAndre Hopkins and they're going to have Chico Conquo in line on the offensive line. You know, if that's the way they want to run it, he'll be on the field regardless. Run snaps or pass snaps. Traylon Burks is not so much a guarantee to be on the field anymore. It has to be, you know, maybe a heavier wide receiver set. He's going to be the wide receiver too, obviously. But if there's ever one, one wide receiver set, Chico Conquo is going to be on the field when Traylon Burks isn't. So Chico Conquo is going to get the snaps. He's going to be on the field. He's going to be the one that has the opportunity. And he has the talent he showed us last year to match. You know, he just didn't have a whole lot of volume coming his way. I think he's still going to be viable. Like, is his ceiling as high anymore? No, I think his ceiling did come down with DeAndre Hopkins, you know, coming to Tennessee. But I don't think that his floor is really hurt too bad. You know, just the way the tight end position is, he's a really good talent. I think he's still liable to finish inside the top 12. I don't think this bumps him out of that conversation. It's just not, you know, the range of outcomes is spread out just a little bit more. Chico Conquo, 32% route participation last year. That's extremely low. And if that yeah. gets bumped up to 75%, 80% without Austin Hooper there, somebody who 26 
6% targets per route run, 2.61 yards per route run, both number one in the NFL last year among tight ends. I'm looking at fantasy life data right now. That's legit, yeah. man. And I'm willing to bet that Chico Conquo outperforms his ADP next year. 100%. All right. We got some more news. Evan Ingram got the bag. Three years, $41 million, $24 million guarantee. This is not something that I saw coming. I have to be honest. Like, I thought they were going to see, you know, if last year was a little bit of a flash in the pan, you know, with him playing on the tag. You know, I wasn't sure they were going to commit, but they did. They honestly, you know, surprised me with this. And this makes me a little bit higher on Ingram. You know, this means they believe in him. And it means he's a much bigger part of their plans than I thought. My concern, though, with Ingram this year is with Calvin Ridley coming in. You know, how much does he get hurt by that, right? Like, you got Ridley. You got Christian Kirk. I think they eat first in this passing offense. And even with the three double-digit target games that Ingram had, he only averaged 5.8 targets per game, while Kirk averaged 7.8. And with Ridley there, I think that opens up Kirk even more. Like, is there room for another receiver to be fantasy relevant? Like, maybe. Maybe. But does Zay Jones just disappear? <laughs> like, he's going to be on the field, right? They ran three wide receivers set 65 of the time last year. They're going to do it more this year with Ridley there. So, if, now, if the Jaguars' offense takes a step, a huge step forward, you know, then maybe we can see Ingram return value. But as of right now, like, I'm not super interested, you know, especially considering that he's not, like, you know, super cheap by any means. You know, he doesn't have top five upside. I don't think he does. And maybe... Right. His price ends up going up just a little bit because the Jaguars showed that they're committing to him. All right. Yeah. So I'm like good for Evan Ingram. He signed this deal. Good for him. He got the money. I think he's a good tight end. But for fantasy, I mean, you take out that huge game against Tennessee where he put up 39 PPR points last year and his yeah. per game average falls from 10.4, which is what it shows on all the websites, and it goes down to 8.6. So that would have tied with Greg Dulcich for 18th in the NFL. And it's not that I want to hold that great performance against him. Like, he had it. Good for him. He did what he had to do in that game. He had a big game. But it's important to look at the whole season last year when we're projecting for 2023. And without that monster performance, Angram eclipsed the 12 PPR point threshold just five times. And obviously, in the tight end landscape, that's not that bad. But he never scored more than 18 points in a game. And in the nine games where he was targeted at least six times, he finished as a top 12 tight end eight times. Now, that sounds pretty good. But in the eight games where he earned less than six targets, that six targets is like the magic number. When he earns less than six targets, he never finished inside the top 20. You know, he finished as a tight end two just once. So what does that tell you? It means that he is extremely, extremely vulnerable to target fluctuations. And I went back and I looked to see if there was any like correlation between Evan Ingram getting targets and Christian Kirk getting targets, and there's correlation 100%. I mean, just listen to some of these totals. Week one, Evan Ingram had four targets. Kirk had 12. Week three, Ingram had three targets. Kirk had nine. Week four, Ingram had one target. Kirk had nine. Week nine, Ingram had two targets. Kirk had nine. Week 10, Ingram had four targets. Kirk had 12. Week 12, Ingram had one target. Kirk had nine. And it's not just those games where Ingram was heavily targeted that, you know, it wasn't like he was the one getting all the targets and Kirk wasn't getting any. Like, if you look at the targets per game, the games where Evan Ingram got his targets, Christian Kirk was still getting his too. In week two, Ingram had eight targets. Kirk had six. 
Week six, Engram had six targets. Kirk had five. Week seven, Engram had seven targets. Kirk had 10. He actually out-targeted him there. Week eight, Engram had six targets. Kirk had seven. Week 14, that big game against Tennessee, Engram had 15 targets, but Kirk also had seven. Week 15, both of them had 10 targets apiece. So it looks like Engram is kind of vulnerable to this disappearing act. He does this when Kirk, Christian Kirk has a big game. If that disappearing act for Engram was happening with Christian Kirk and Zay Jones competing for targets, imagine a fluctuation with Calvin Ridley when he's heavily integrated in the offense. Like, there's way too much instability for me to trust him right now, especially at his tight end eight price off the board. I think it's pretty darn high. And it's good for him that he got this extension. It might help his dynasty prospects a little bit. You know, maybe if this Calvin Ridley thing doesn't pan out, but I'm assuming Calvin Ridley is going to play very well. And Engram, at his price, you can see that he's just kind of like, when he gets his targets, he does his thing, but he doesn't, you know, like continue. He doesn't de demonstrate enough dependability on a week to week basis. He's very bipolar in terms of his production. He had the same amount of top 10 weeks and outside the top 20 weeks as Tyler Higby last year. Eight weeks yeah. outside the top 20. No top tight end had as many weeks outside the top, uh, top outside the top 20 than Everett Ingram did outside of Tyler Higby. So, it was like flipping a coin a lot later. Yeah. It was like flipping a coin last year, right? So, um, I, I think I think we're in agreement here. Yeah, no long-term deal for Saquon Barkley or Josh Jacobs. They didn't sign the franchise tag. No long-term for Pollard either, but he did sign the tag, so he'll play. He has to report to camp because he signed. <laughs> <laughs> Cowboys fans are happy. Yes, since Saquon or Jacobs are not under contract, they won't be fined if they miss training camp. We might even see them miss some games. You know, a lot of the NFL running backs, including Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, who we know is already disgruntled with his contract, but he did restructure recently. You know, these guys have come out in support on Twitter, you know, and, and Najee Harris, he also wanted to belong to, so he came out and said something as well. Uh, right. But it's an unfortunate situation for these guys, right? The moral of the story for me is if your kids play football, don't let them play running back. These teams, you know, give their running backs a lot of touches, but any team that revolves around their running back in this day and age means they're not a championship caliber team. We never say anymore that, man, that team can play good defense and run the ball. They're going to win the Super Bowl. We used to, but not anymore. You know, teams can get away with having replacement level running backs and win a Super Bowl if they have a good quarterback and hopefully some good receivers. So, you know, and if you pay a running back, you're saying that we are going to revolve our offense around this running back for the next how many years? And is that smart? I don't think so. Like, I personally, if I was a GM, I'd rather use that money elsewhere, build a championship roster. Like, the market, <clears throat> excuse me, the market just isn't there for these running backs to get paid in today's NFL. And it's kind of just unfortunate. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, I, I don't know. How to really go about this? You know, the running back, like it's a very important position, definitely. But you look at the last super, the last few Super Bowl winners, just like none of them have really had like high pay star running, running backs. backs. Yeah, yeah, star exactly. running backs. So you have the Chiefs who did it twice in the past four years. Then you had the Bucks. You know, okay, they had Leonard Fournette. You know, playoff Lenny, cool, mm -hmm. good for him. He he wasn't highly paid. You know, he was just there. He he was he played well. But then you also look at the Rams. Like the Rams went and won the Super Bowl on the heels on the back of Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. That was it, and a good defense. You know, you mentioned that. But there's no, there's no 
running back here that's really doing anything. You know, it, it's, it paints a bad picture for what running backs do. It shows that you can win without running backs. And my boy Zeke didn't do anybody any favors by getting paid right. and then having his production fall off a cliff. That didn't yeah. help at all either. Le'Veon hey, Bell. We saw, and, we saw it yeah. coming. Yeah, we saw it come 100%. I mean, you just look at that touch threshold. He's not Derrick Henry. <laughs> he hit that threshold, and, and that was it for him. But it, it is just unfortunate. Like, you know, you look at running backs. These are very good players. You know, it's just they're not highly valued because you can win without them. So I don't even know if you're a running back. Like, obviously, so for me, I look at it, it's like, man, people are, you know, pushing back against signing a $10 million franchise tag. You know, I'm like, I would take that any day of the week, but I'm just an average Joe sitting in front of a computer screen. You know, these guys, when there's a market and you can make more money, I completely understand, you know, fighting for more money and doing that. Cause it's true. Like Austin Eckler's making less than Alan Lazard, like that kind of thing. I think that's, is that right? Like that's, that's just, right. that's just crazy. You know, that shouldn't be happening when you premier players who the NFL markets, you know, they use them to make themselves appealing to more people, you know, that they're not getting that compensation to other guys who aren't even, you know, hardly on the screen ever. It, there's just a, it, a disparity there. It's it's tough. You know, I, I don't have any idea how to resolve it, but it's just unfortunate, like you said. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And now moving back to fantasy, like should, should we be avoiding these guys in drafts? Now, I, I don't think so for the most part. Like if I'm trying to make a decision between – Saquon and an elite wide receiver or Saquon and Kelsey, you know, it's going to be the wide receiver or Kelsey every time. And that's kind of been the case before all this. Now, if Saquon falls like the middle towards the end of the second round, like I'll draft him. I think yep. he's going to play. Um, he might choose to hold out week one. You know, I don't see him holding out the entire year. Same thing with Josh Jacobs. The reason why it's a little bit more worrisome with Jacobs is because he's a lot younger and he can afford it way more than Saquon. I think Jacobs is still at a good price, but I, I'm, I am thinking twice here. Like, is he really going to give up all those game checks? I think I'm leaning towards just grabbing him at drafts at a potentially even bigger discount because of the fear of that in-season holdout, right? Um, now, yeah. there is a chance that this goes all the way to week 10, right? That's the deadline that they have to sign their franchise tag. And if they don't sign by then, by then they, they just can't play for the year. And I, I, I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure that if they don't play this year, even because of this, because of the fact that this is a franchise tag, they can become free agents next year, and yeah, they don't have a deal I, in place. I think that's how it works. But if you are under contract and you don't play, then you don't accrue the year, and you and you have to basically play on the same contract the following year. And I don't think that's the case. Oh in this yeah, situation. no, that's right. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um. Right now, I was just taking a look at Matthew Berry's fantasy life, uh, fantasy life's free daily newsletter, and they included the four running backs to play on a franchise tag. And they got absolutely fed like two running backs in 2005, Edgerin James, 404 touches, Sean Alexander, 385 touches. Uh, Darren Sproles in 2009 only had 138, but Darren Sproles that wasn't so crazy. But Le'Veon Bell in 2017 on his first franchise tag, he got 406 touches. Um, his second franchise tag was the one where he sat out, and that was like kind of the beginning of the end to his career. So what does this tell you? That if these guys do play, they're going to get fed. And Tony Pollard is going to play. I'm so ready. He's going to get fed. I'm so ready. He, I don't think he's going to get 400 touches, but you know, even 250 would be a huge step up from what he's had. Zach, you know? Zach, let me ask you this. Do you All think right. 
that he could get 300 carries. Tony Pollard. Or do you think that's I think I personally think he has it in him because he's very he has hardly any tread taken off the tires, so to speak. You know, he's taken on very light workloads his whole career. So I think he has it in him. We saw him do it. The efficiency might not be there like he's had, but I think he's a very good running back. The system that they're going it's, to be it's, in. It's a lot. It's a lot. Because like, if you look is, at Zeke, Zeke, Zeke only had 300 carries three times in his career. Yeah. So but, even that yeah. is just like, you know, it's a lot. So if, if you had to project Tony Pollard, like how many rushes he would have this year, what are we looking at? I'm thinking it's going to settle somewhere between 260 and 275. I think that's what it's yeah. going to be. I don't think they're going to give him 300. That's top end. If they're really leaning on the run game, I don't think that's going to be the case. You know, I think they're going to be a balanced offense. And if that's the case, they want to run the ball more, they'll have somebody else to run the ball. They drafted Deuce Vaughn. I'd love to see him see the field just because he was so productive in college. But there's guys, Ronald Jones is still on the roster. We'll see if he sticks around. Malik Davis has been a favorite. He's been there a couple of years. I think if they're going to add more carries, it's not going to be going necessarily all on the Pollard's plate. They're going to put some carries in other running backs' hands. So for me, 260, 275, that's the sweet spot. I would love to see him get 300 carries, but I don't think he's going to get that. Me either. Me either. I mean, I think that's way too much. I feel like I feel like two, 230. 230, 240, plus like 70 catches. I'd love that. Like a, That would be cool. Yeah. Around when, yeah, catches. when you bring up the debate of nice. rush nice. attempts versus receptions, and yeah. If he, that would be the ideal setup for fantasy, you know, obviously right. 20 carries right. versus a bunch more receptions is going to be a big difference. All right, let's get into some draft strategy. Let's go. Yeah, I want, I want to start pre-draft. Okay. I think it's very important to mock draft, right? Use yeah. your league settings on the platform that your league is drafting on. Every platform has its own ADP, right? And that's average draft position. If you're unaware. And I, the players themselves are being drafted in slightly different order and like slightly different places depending on the platform your league is using, right? So I would continue to do multiple, as many mock drafts as you can yeah. from your draft spot and get used to all the potential dilemmas you'll be facing on draft day, right? So that like when it's draft day and it happens to you, it's like second nature when you're faced with the same choices when it's time for your real draft, right? And the choices become a lot easier to handle. Yeah. And I, I can't stress enough either. You know, just practice adjusting your strategy in these mock drafts and your approach on a dime. Like drafts are unpredictable. There's, it's essentially like gambling, especially when you're sitting there in the middle of the round and you're waiting for a player to maybe fall to you. It's like you're rolling the dice and hoping for the best. Like they're unpredictable. And a sudden five pick run at a position just ahead of your selection it's going to force you to change your plan, whether you like it or not. Um, regardless of where it happens in the draft, there could be a run on receivers early in the first round. There could be a run on receivers early in the eighth round. You know, it doesn't matter where it happens. If there's a run, you're going to have to change your strategy. No two scenarios are the same across drafts, obviously. But having experienced your plans unraveling before in a low-stakes environment like a mock draft, it's going to help you better prepare for the real thing on draft day. And one more point about these mock drafts. Do your best to mock against real people. You know, Obviously, you can do it alone just, you know, against bots, but it's easy to just close the tab that you're on and exit from the draft room if your plan doesn't come together exactly how you envisioned it. I'm speaking from experience here. I used to do that. It was terrible. When you mock, do everything you can to convince yourself it's the real thing. Best simulate draft day. 
There's no getting up and walking away from your league's draft. So practice making the most of being dealt a bad hand. And it doesn't even have to be a bad hand that you're dealt, just one that you don't expect. Just like you said, be ready for you know those changes in plan suddenly so that you're not sitting there panicked and you end up taking somebody that you really shouldn't have. 100%, man. And just, you know, simply just understand where players are being drafted. You know, get used to their prices specifically on the platform you're drafting on. Like, that makes things easier. So you can recognize when players are falling to you, right? And that's going to lead us yeah. to a next point. But before I get there, what is your favorite platform, Zach? If you had to choose your top three platforms to draft on, just to have your league on, what would those three be? So not including underdog. Because, you know, correct. Because under, underdog is long, great. Season long fantasy. Season long right. fantasy, exactly. Yeah. So I'm probably going to, I would go sleeper first, then ESPN, and then I think Yahoo. That would be my order. I like it. I mean, I, I'm, what, going, what I'm going, I'm going sleeper, then Yahoo, then ESPN. That's, that's right. basically what I would do. So, like, I think we're both in agreement that sleeper is probably the best option. You could do mock drafts on there against the computer or against real, pe- real people that Zach, Zach definitely recommends. But if you can't find real people, um, <laughs> you know, just just do uh, do it against the computer, but do it against the computer a bunch of times, right? Yeah. So you have all different you know scenarios thrown thrown your way. Um, but yeah, so like I mentioned earlier, you know, you'll if you do a lot of these drafts, you'll recognize when like, oh wait, like this player usually doesn't fall here, right? So yeah. my next point is let the board fall to you. Don't go into your draft already thinking you know exactly what you're drafting. Right. I'm taking a running back in the first. I'm taking a wide receiver in the second. Um, you know, I'm taking wide receivers in the middle rounds. You just never know how the board is going to fall. And if you're so set in your ways, like you're not even going to realize when a huge value is staring you in the face. You got to be flexible and, you know, just be prepared to take any player at any point and adjust on the fly. Like it's better if you grab that value that fell to you than sticking with like your positional strategy, right? Because your, your team just got off to a better start if you took the value than it would have with your strategy. So, you know, and, and I think this leads into one of our next tips, and that's understanding where there are positional drop-offs. And one way to do that is to separate by tier. So let's say you're on the clock or you're about to be on the clock, right? And you have Christian, uh, let's say you have Christian Watson, Drake London, and Terry McLaurin as your choices at wide receiver, right? And, and let's yep. say, you know, just for argument's sake, even if you don't, let's just say that you have all of them in the same tier of wide receiver, that like mid to low end wide receiver two range, right? But Josh Jacobs ends up falling to you. And then the next available running back is Travis Etienne. The gap between Jacobs and Etienne for me is huge, but the gap between those three wide receivers might not be as big. So Jacobs gives you a much bigger positional advantage that you would be looking for here, and he should be the pick here, right? I'll give you another example. Later in the draft, right, you have Miles Sanders, Damian Pearson, Cam Akers. They're all on the board for you to choose from, and then Calvin Ridley falls to you, right? The the next best wide receiver after Ridley in this particular draft is, let's say, uh, Chris Godwin. You're like, all right, I have Ridley a lot higher than Godwin, but those running backs are all in a similar tier for me. And you know what? I'm also near the turn, there's actually a chance that one of these guys makes it back around to me, but there's almost no chance that really makes it back to me, right? So really is going to be the pick here. And th- these might seem like obvious examples, but I'm just trying to make a point of how you can approach these types of situations. 
Yeah, one hundred percent. You, you, the tiered rankings make so much sense. And like, I didn't hear about these, especially right when I started playing fantasy. You know, I, I went just by the numbers. You know, I'd be like, okay, well, this guy's ranked two spots higher than the other guy that's on the board. I'm going to take him. But no, there are definitely certain tiers, and you have to think about their positional value too. Like you said, like a very good running back versus a mid tier wide receiver you know they might be going up the board in the same place and it's it, you pretty much said it all you know I'm, I'm struggling to put pull any unique advice out of a hat <laughs> here but it, it just goes pretty much without saying you know if somebody falls down the board and you know sure you don't have a need at that position big whoop take the guy that's going to give more value you know what i mean because exactly there's not only is there more value for you that you can put them in a flex spot, but there's also a trade block that you could use them as trade bait and maybe get what you need later on. You know, so I'm assuming that you have trade capabilities in your league, but I don't know what league doesn't have trade cap- capabilities anymore in 2023. But, you know, just always go for what's going to give you more value. Like, I get it. You might not want to take the guy that fell to you if, like, say you drafted four running backs already and you're around seven right. and another running back falls to you. Like, there are definite, you know, exceptions to this rule. But for the most part, you know, if a player falls and it's a, they're in a higher tier within their position, even though the other wide receiver might be ranked higher, you know, the other player might be ranked higher, take the guy that's in the higher tier. I agree. And, and you bring up a great point, which is, like, I, I'll be making picks regardless of whether my starting lineup is filled or not. Right, I'm drafting the right. best possible running backs and wide receivers, regardless of whether I need that RB two. Right, if the value at wide receiver is better at that spot, I'm going to draft the wide receiver. They can potentially go into my flex in my wide three, my wide receiver three spot, or they're going on my bench. Right, but like, I'm okay filling out a bench spot or two if those players are that much better than the the starting lineup spot that I need to fill. Right, um, especially at quarterback and tight end, you know, and you know, I think that could bring us to our next point, which is not to reach. Um, now, I do think there's an exception, and I'll get to that. And I think there we can potentially wait on quarterback and tight end, and we'll get to that as well. But when I'm picking near the middle of the round, let's say I'm at pick, you know, I got the fifth pick overall, sixth pick overall. I don't want to reach several players ahead of ADP because there is a chance that like certain players make their way back to me in the next round. Like, just that small possibility is good enough reason to take another player closer to, you know, the top of the board and who's yeah. just almost as valuable to the other player in your eyes and then have a chance at that player that you like coming back to you in the next round because you just doubled up on the value that you wanted, right? And, and I will right. say that, okay, like, listen, if you're dead set on getting a guy and you hate all the guys ahead of him, sure, like, whatever. But if you do take that player, the chances are that in the next round, you're going to hate all the players at the top of the board in the next round. So, you know, might as well have picked the better player from your shit list than to get like the worst player on that shit list in the next round. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I completely understand what you're saying. So you think about taking a guy like, I don't know, Devonte Adams, you know, people are really, you know, separated yeah. on, you know, him this season because Jimmy G is his quarterback. So you could take advantage of that. So he's sitting at like, back of the first round especially on underdog drafts that's kind of yeah. where he's going if you're picking at five or six is a little early to kind of push it and see if he makes it to you there on the way back but if you're sitting at like six seven eight you know you could push it like you could take Devonte adams there and be fine but you could also take a guy like 
don't know. I'm just for the sake of argument. Uh, Bijan, say he's there. Take yeah. him. Push it back. Push Devontae Adams back and hope he's there on the way back. It's only six or seven picks. And with, you know, the complications with his circ- circumstances now in Las Vegas, you know, there's a chance he could come back to you. So you have to, like, be tactical about it. You're obviously not going to push a guy like C.D. Lamb and hope he comes back to you at 18th overall, <laughs> you right. know. But there are different players, definitely, that people – if you look at the ADPs across, you know, different platforms too, you can see where the ones that are kind of locked in where they're at, the ADPs will be similar. But when they start to fluctuate, that's when you can see – People aren't as decided on where they should be going on drafts, and that's when they start to slide. Those are the players that you can kind of take your chances with and push them back. Now, I think if you're at the turn or near the turn, I think I give my my I give myself some permission to reach. Right, they kind of just get your guys yeah. right when you're at the turn. Like I'm personally comfortable at the turn. You know, whether that's the one on one or the one two turn, because like I have my guys. Right, like I know who I want. Right, yeah. um, and I'm going getting them. Uh, but if I'm not at the turn, I'm usually trying my best to not reach a whole lot. And when I reach a couple of times, I tend to have limited choices a little bit later in my draft. And I'm usually not super happy with my team. Right. And that's one of the worst feelings. You know, when you're not happy with your team, it's just the worst. But I, I feel like the later you pick in the first round, the easier it is to do, like we say, let the board fall to you. And drafting at the one-two turn is like the easiest spot, I think, personally, you know, to draft. And just let everybody else make the decisions for you. And you can capitalize on any type of value that's falling. Everyone makes their picks ahead of you. And by the time you're three or four picks away from being on the clock. So say you're picking at 10 in a 10-man league. And you get to like pick six or seven. At that point, you can have a potential list of five or six names. And you'll be happy drafting any of them. And you don't have to worry about all of those players being off the board by the time it gets to you. And that process just repeats over and over and over. I mean, you're going to take the two guys that you want at the turn, you know. It's going to go back. You're going to have like 18, 20 picks in between before you get back on the clock. But at that point, like it's it's just going to happen how it happens. Fate is now in control until you get back to that three or four picks ahead of where you're going. And then you can start strategizing again based on how everybody else is playing it. You can play the table where everybody else, they have to set, you know, what you're going to be dealing with at that turn. So I think that makes choosing towards... The, the end of the round, the beginning of the round, it makes it super flexible because you can sit back and see what everybody else is doing, which players are falling. And, and if you're close to being on the clock, like have those backup picks ready, right? Like yeah. hopefully a, a couple, a few of those guys that you mentioned that like, okay, you have five or six guys that you're willing to take in the next, with the next pick. Like when you're like, when it's like four or five picks away, like you better like have that backup pick ready, right? There's nothing worse than getting sniped, right? Your guy is right there. Right, just needs to not be picked, and the guy before you is picking, and he takes your guy. Worst feeling in the yep. world, and now you're panicking, and you only have 27 seconds to make a decision. Do not put yourself in this situation. Like, do not spend all that time before your pick, praying to God and hoping your guy is there. Right, like use that time to figure out who you know are the next two guys that I would take. Right, make that decision before it gets to you, so that when your guy is taken, you don't panic and you don't tilt. And you don't make a mistake that you'll regret because you made a decision in like this distressed, uh, distressed state. Yeah, <laughs> you know I, think I think it's funny. I think it's funny. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it's funny that you allot three seconds for the panic because then you have 27 seconds left to make a decision. Assuming, you know, it's a 30 <laughs> second pick clock. If it's a 60 second pick clock, then you're really accounting for panic. That's 33 seconds of panic. 
you know i panic i panic but yeah all jokes aside that kind of thing i 100 agree what i usually like to do when i'm in that situation and you know there's a chance that the guy that i want might get sniped i look at it as like okay who ideally would i take at this pick you know assuming the board falls this way and then you'd be like okay that ideal option is taken away. What's the next best thing you can do? It's pretty much, it goes back to the idea of just playing the hand that you're dealt, you know, yeah. and that how ha- that happens a lot. I think a lot more you're at the mercy of the board when you're at the ends of the round, either the beginning or the end um, in the middle, you might not deal with this as much, but definitely hundred percent have a list, just a short list. You know, it doesn't even have to be five or six guys long. Like I said, be- to begin with, when it gets to your pick, even if it's just two or three that, you know, you're going to be happy with, or you have, you don't even have to be happy taking it. You could be like, all right, this is going to allow me. You like you have options that you can build on from that point. You know, just where you have options, you're not sitting there after your pick, like, well, that was a wasted round. You know, like that's also one of the worst feelings. 100 percent man. And and by the way, yeah, I think one of the best ways to prepare for your draft is by doing best ball drafts over on underdog. Um, you could do big money tournaments, you could play with your friends, play small money tournaments, you know, as little as five bucks. Uh, but either way, like you'll get a great idea of what the board is going to look like for the most part and where guys are generally being drafted, right? So right now, Underdog is doubling first deposits up to $100 if you use the code UPPERHAND. The minimum to deposit is only $10, so use the code UPPERHAND today and start drafting. All right, let's talk later, later rounds and, and building depth. Um, I personally like to stockpile running backs and wide receivers as much as I can. I only draft one quarterback. If I know I have a solid one, I only draft one tight end. If I know I have a solid one, like I might take a shot on a late round tight end with upside, even if I already drafted a solid one in case I think there is like, if they have a shot at just having more value than any of the other random players I'm choosing at the end of my draft. Are you usually drafting one quarterback and one tight end, Zach, for the most part? Uh, for, For the most part, you know, sometimes... Like in that one draft we did a couple episodes ago, it was a live draft, of course. And I violated my one rule of, you know, having one quarterback. I took Justin Herbert, but then Anthony Richardson was there later. And there was nobody, no other really skilled players that were up in that tier of like, okay, they could have ridiculous upside. And I went and took Anthony Richardson. So for the most part, you know, unless that. I I think Anthony Richardson is like the one of the. exceptions 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 to this rule rule, i would say because like his value can be so huge that like he could be serious trade value yeah serious trade value especially like he could have higher upside than the quarterback that you drafted before him right like is it out of the realm of possibility that anthony richardson is a top five quarterback and justin herbert's not that's possible is it likely i I don't know but like it's definitely possible because of his skill set yeah, so you talk about the, the appreciating value, you know, and we're going off already right now, but Anthony Richardson is the exception to this rule. But for the most part, you can take one quarterback, especially in 10, 12-man leagues. If it's one QB, you know, if you're not playing Superflex or anything, you can get away with that so easily because there's plenty of other quarterbacks that are going to be starting. There's going to be quarterbacks that are solid starters, you know, on waivers in one QB leagues. So exactly for the most part, Oh yeah, you said exactly. exactly. Sorry, I thought you said yeah. I thought you said my name. I was like, whoa. But anyway, um, (laughs) yeah. So I I I get it. I get it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh But yeah. So I generally draft one quarterback and just take my hands off. Don't worry about it. If that one quarterback, if that one quarterback ends up shitting the bed, like you said, there are a lot of quarterbacks potentially on waivers, especially in ten to twelve person leagues that. 
you'll end up just picking one up and being fine. Or just, just streaming it out. a week. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's all. That's all. Um, let's see. All right. So now if you're taking one quarterback, you're generally taking one tight end. Um, I think building running back depth is extremely important. It's it's a you know, there's a combination of different types of running backs that you can that you can draft, right? And combination of guys that you can play in a pinch, right? Like low end RB two flex guys, right? That you yep. can get later in your draft, like Samaj P. Ryan, maybe Zach Charbonnet, right? You have upside handcuffs like Jalen right. Warren or Tajay Spears. Uh, then you have later in the draft guys like Chase Brown, Jerome Fours, Amir White, you know, now particularly interesting because of the Josh Jacobs situation. You know, having those guys on your bench gives you chance at upside because if there's an injury, you, you now have someone who could potentially handle 15 to 20 touches and a running back who you almost who you almost have to put in your lineup, right? If you, unless you have like serious studs. Um, and then you combine those type of guys with running backs who could potentially win a job, right? Like running backs who are part of ambiguous backfields like the Bears, like the Vikings. Um, and I think getting a mix of those different types of running backs is helpful because running backs get hurt all the time. So having a few guys you can throw in in a pinch is helpful, right? So there's a lot of handcuffs that you could draft. And in terms of handcuffs, there are two main ways you can play. I think targeting your own running backs handcuffs, targeting handcuffs of running backs you aren't rostering, right? When you target your own running backs handcuffs, you're playing it safe, usually hitting your ceiling, right? Usually, you know, your ceiling either gets hit or it decreases because the running back that's stepping into that role usually isn't as good as a starter. Sometimes that's not true, obviously, as we've seen in the past. Sometimes a third down back assumes an early down role on top of his third down role if that early down running back gets hurt. Uh, and then you might end up having a better fantasy running back at that point because the handcuff it has a better role than the starter, right? Yeah. Um, but I think having a mix of all these types, different types of running backs is a good idea. Um, and, and I doubled down on this philosophy if you went zero running back early, right? Like if your starting running backs are kind of shaky, you want to take as many shots as you can on guys who could potentially become legit fantasy options in case things go their way. Yeah. So the way I like to look at handcuffing running backs, you know, whether they're for your own players or another team, I just look at it as a big pendulum. You know what I mean? So when you handcuff your own running backs, you're preventing change and disruption from happening on your team. And you're just kind of holding that pendulum from moving. You don't want any other managers to capitalize, you know, on any value that could come from your running back getting hurt. And even if the handcuff you replace your running back with isn't as good a fantasy player, the power balance, as I like to call it, it stays the same across the league. No other team gains anything from your starting being injured. It's just you might be hurt a little bit, but it's not like the power is shifting. The value is shifting. But when you start targeting other people's handcuffs and other people do the same thing to you, that's when you're trying to get that pendulum to swing as opposed to trying to keep it steady. So when you draft a handcuff for someone else's starter, the value in that backfield gains the potential to shift from one fantasy roster to another at the drop of a hat, you know, just from an injury. So in this case, you know, from one of your league mates rosters to yours. So say that you draft Tajay Spears, despite Derrick Henry being on another player's roster. If Henry gets hurt, all of a sudden the pendulum swings in your favor and you suddenly leech the value from the Titans backfield that used to be on that team's roster. And it's, you've moved it to yours. You've strengthened your own roster at the expense of another, which is pretty much what you want to do. So there's more upside in terms of the total value gain 
in dra- in drafting other people's handcuffs, other running backs' handcuffs that aren't on your team. But you can also just like protect yourself against that and ensure yourself against that type of thing happening by drafting your own handcuffs. So it just really just comes down to your preference of how you want to play it. Exactly, exactly. All right, and that's a great example, right? Because if Derek, if you had Ty J Spears and you had Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry gets hurt, how much more valuable is Ty J Spears than Derrick Henry? It's right. either almost the same because of the PPR upside, but then also in most likely not as good, right? Yeah. Because is Ty J Spears going to be handling goal line work and all that? But like you mentioned, if I have Ty J Spears and Derrick yeah. Henry, who I don't have, gets hurt, dude, the value didn't shift. It didn't change from your team because you're still getting whatever points there would have been, you know, as opposed to another guy. Oh, suddenly he has an RB2 for the week, you know, like exactly. that's what I'm, that's the way I look at it. Exactly. Exactly. Now, uh, at the end of drafts, you want to be chasing upside. Okay. Don't chase what you perceive as a floor. The reason why a lot of these players are being drafted so late is because they likely have no floor. Okay, we did a whole episode on late round guys to target. So after this episode, make sure to listen to that one. We did a couple weeks ago. We go over a lot of the guys we're targeting at the end of drafts. So make sure to tune into that episode. Now, Zach, when you do drafts, like, are you worried about bye weeks at all? Absolutely not. And I think you would agree. One of the worst mistakes you can make is avoiding a player because he's on a bye in a certain week. Like, oh, no, he's not playing. It's a scheduled week off like you know when that's coming it's not like an injury where it just pops up and you're left to fend for yourself you know when these are coming so it doesn't even make that big a difference so what you have two or three players on by in the same week there's between 13 and 15 regular season games for fantasy football in a year depending on the way you play it if one of those is a bad week for you because you have a bunch of playmakers on by so what at least you get them all over with at you get them all over with at once and you have your roster at full strength for all the remaining games of the year there's nothing wrong with targeting players that have the same body like it's hardly a consideration for me only in like minute tiebreaker decisions do i consider by and i think that's pretty much the way you look at it too yeah yeah pretty much i mean so much can change right like in the season like if if, if my yeah. player is like on a week nine by i don't know like a couple of my players can be hurt anyway right a couple of those week nine players can be hurt anyway um i might have picked up better players on waivers to play over those guys uh you might have made trades by then right with the players that you drafted week nine they're off your roster anyway so i I wouldn't really make decisions based on bye weeks and regular drafts like if you want to use it as like an extreme tiebreaker situation that would make sense right yeah now let's say we, we finish our draft zach as soon as we finish our draft what are we doing okay so it can go one of two ways. You can either you can do this in any order. You can go and check the waivers, or you can move the players that you drafted that need to be moved to IR to the IR spot and then go check waivers. That probably makes more sense. But you know, there's a good chance you drafted a player that's going to be in that IR spot. You're gonna have to put them there. It, it might even be because of a suspension with Alvin Kamara. It might be because of a holdout, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, that kind of thing. Whatever you need to do, whatever players you need to move out of your bench spots. Do that. And when you do that, immediately go and fill it on the waiver wire. There's no excuse at any point in time to have an open bench spot on your roster. Like, 100%. there's absolutely no reason to leave them open because you're just you, this potential value to be had. A player is more valuable to you on your bench, even if they're scoring zero points, than they are on the waiver wire. 
because they're still practicing. They have preseason games going on. Like, you know, you pick up a player and boom, like one player gets hurt. And like the player who ends up benefiting, oh, wait, he's on the end of your bench. He's on your roster already. You don't have to give up fab. You don't have to worry about whether you have waiver priority or any of that. And by the way, please play with fab. Waiver priority is over. That's just a side note. Um, Waiver spotters are the worst people. They're terrible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just let everybody have an equal opportunity at every waiver wire pick every every single week. Unless they want to waste their money early, that's their problem. Now I used to play I used to play in a league where waiver priority was determined by the amount of fantasy points scored. And the lowest fantasy points scored the week before would get the waiver priority. And this was way early on, but that is the dumbest setup. I've ever heard like that was truly painful because the worst team would just snag all the waiver players and we'd be sitting there just with the scraps. If we're, if you have a good week, right. you'd be punished for it. It made no sense. And also like if I saw a, a big, big, big name player get hurt, like in, at, in the one o'clock games, I'll bench my players for the four o'clock games so I can get that player. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let me ask you this, man. How, how do you feel about drafting a couple players from the same team? Like, how do you feel about stacking a quarterback and a wide receiver from the same team? Um, you know, and we're not talking tournaments here, right? Yeah. Which is usually the strategy. We're talking regular redraft, home leagues, 12 teams, 10 team leagues. A quarterback and a wide receiver can work. That's fine. Just like it works in, you know, the tournaments, daily fantasy. It, it can work 100%, especially if it's a good stack. Like, you're not going to stack. Ryan Tannehill and Traylon Burks. Like, that's not going to be a very, you know, lucrative in terms of fantasy points stack to have on your team. It can be enticing to do that, but it's, it can be enticing to do that, especially if a player feels like it's going to be a solid fit on your team. But without diversifying across multiple teams, you're going to be at the mercy of the team that you drafted up. So you can do this, fine. Quarterback, wide receiver, that works. But you don't want to draft anything more than that because if you take a quarterback, a running back, and a wide receiver all from the same team or a quarterback, a running back, and a tight end all from the same team or a running back, a wide receiver, and tight end all from the same team, the lows are going to be very low, but even the highs are going to be diluted because if you draft that those combinations of players, I mean, the passing game is different from the run game every single week. Sometimes the run game is getting it done and the running back gets a bunch of fantasy points. Sometimes the passing game is getting it done. And the receivers and tight ends get a bunch of points. The amount of times a fantasy team is going to have a QB finish with 25 points, a receiver finish with 30, and a running back finish with 20 or more, it's very low. And the offense would have to be hitting on all cylinders, and the game would have to be a complete shootout. The number of times that happens in a year is maybe like two or three times at most for a single team. So you're really just like limiting your upside by taking players on the same offense because there's only so many points that can be scored on one offense. So I would say you can get you can I wouldn't say get away. It can work with a good quarterback wide receiver stack, good quarterback tight end stack, but I wouldn't keep taking players from the same team. Yeah, I try not to put too many of my eggs in one basket, you know, because one injury can hurt multiple players. Like if I drafted three teams, three players on the Eagles, if I drafted, you know, let's say I drafted Goddard AJ Brown and then like some you know whatever there's those two what if Jalen Hurts get gets hurt now yep. uh, you know even though I didn't have Jalen Hurts now I'm kind of asked out right because one court one injury just like affected two of my players um and it wasn't even uh, a player that I had that who got hurt yeah. right so I tried my best to diversify as much as possible um I have one last piece of advice Zach and, and yeah. that's just to have yeah. fun 
right? Like draft players on your favorite team if you want to. I would say just use it as a tiebreaker. Like, don't just yeah. like go and draft like every Dallas Cowboy. But like, you know, if you're like, man, listen, I love CD Lamb. I totally understand that. I don't know. Stefan Diggs is a better fantasy receiver this year. My mind is telling me Diggs, but I love Lamb. I watch every Cowboys game. Draft CD Lamb. Like, yeah. especially in that situation, like, is it really that much of a drop off? Like, Yes, I do have Diggs ranked higher than CD, but like if I love the Cowboys and I watch them every game and I want to root for my guy, yeah, do it. It's going to be so much more fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. so You're that's that's what I recommend. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. for sure. And this is this is your team at the end of the day, right? So, And you might trust my opinion and Zach's opinion on, on certain players or whatever, but like this is your team. You know, if my opinion or someone else's opinion that you trust is against your gut, and like your gut says something else, go with your gut because like at the end yeah. of the day, this is your team. You do what you got to do, um, and I feel like you'll just be more satisfied if you draft the team based on what you want and not just like something that I'm spewing because not every take that I say is right. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I might be right like sixty percent of the time, but I don't know that that's and I'm not counting, but like that that's really good. <laughs> but like I'm, I'm that means I'm also getting a lot of stuff wrong, right? Yeah. And uh, you know. And if if your gut says one thing, and then you follow me about on on one thing and on the other thing, and like I'm wrong about it, like you're gonna feel like pretty bad because you're like, I knew it, I knew it, I knew I should have drafted yep. that guy. Well, if you have that type of conviction with certain players, I'd say you go for those players. If you have those type of convictions about not drafting a player, don't. You know what I'm saying? I feel like following your gut and following what you truly want to do. I think that's the way to do it. Yeah, we sit here and we talk about fantasy all day. I know for us, you live and breathe fantasy and you're doing all this research and all this stuff. But still, at the end of the day, like our judgment's only as good as the next person's. You know, it's just based on stats and stuff. But like not we're not idiots. You know, we, we're not completely out of touch with the way that fantasy football works. We aren't people playing the game. Are Everybody plays it their own way and they should play it that way. Like the rankings aren't scripture. If you go against them, like how many times do we see a player completely explode, go completely against where everybody had him ranked, like all oh, yeah. the time. It happens Josh Jacobs, time. La- Josh Jacobs last year. Yeah, not just season long, but even on a week. Like we have guys that are like ranked. This guy's going to be this week's wide receiver twenty nine. He ends up being the wide receiver two. Like big whoop. Like Mac Hollins. Like no one's going right. to rank Mac Hollins, <laughs> you know, right. as a wide receiver two. But he had that one week, you know, early in the season last year where he just popped off. He had all these points. So. The rankings are there to help you. They're they're a tool, but they're not scripture. So, like, like you said, go with your gut. This is your team. Play who you want, draft who you want, do it your way. It's gonna be more fun that way. But you know, listen to us a little bit because we have an, uh, an all right idea of what we're talking about. <laughs> I think so. I think so. I, I think that's yeah. gonna do it for this episode, guys. We appreciate you. Uh, good luck in all your drafts this summer. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of days with another episode. Make sure you tune in for that. If you have uh, any questions about like. You know, like who should I be drafting? And you haven't listened to the past like several episodes. Make sure you tune in because we talk, we talk about we talk about a bunch of guys that we're targeting, bunch of guys that we're not targeting. Um, so make sure you tune into those episodes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, please do so. That helps us so much on pod, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you're listening to the podcast. Please subscribe. And if you if you have another minute, and you could rate and review the podcast, that would mean the world to us. Uh, So thank you guys for that. And uh, that's it. We'll see you guys in a couple days. Later.